There's another side to good health, and that's good mental health. True to the name of this show, I double booked therapy today. So, Henny, you're my therapy today. Yay, I'll do my best. Isn't it weird, though, that therapy is like that one thing that you wait for all week long yes. and then you just forget it on the day so yes. many times? I like plan my whole day around it. Only and then therapy I do that with. 30 minutes leading up to it, and I'm gone. like, no idea where I am, no idea what I'm doing. And then I always want to text my therapist and be like, I'm not a mess right yes. now, I promise I just forgot. Yes. What's y'all's stance on on like the cadence of therapy? Do you go, is it weekly, Ooh, bi-weekly, okay. or is it like ad hoc? Do you have the same time every week? What's what's y'all's like schedule? I don't really have a game plan, but I think if I look back, I go like weekly in chunks when I have like a life transition that needs addressed. And then I think I get to a point and I feel it out and I get to a point where I'm like, I'm just really tired of working on myself right now and I need a break. Like that's the level that's like, I get to my limit where I'm like, I'm just exhausted of like thinking about this Mm. all the time and going through this. And, um, and then I'll like ease up. So I sort of did like a, this most recent chunk, I did like a two week and then now I haven't seen her for like a month. And so I, I feel like the door's always open, but um, I'm very much in a stage right now of like, I just want to be and do the messy day-to-day work and not like have to think about it so intensely. Yeah. I love that. That's kind of like a, that's like a, a, a personal writer's room <laughs> where you like, you huddle, you're like <laughs> there, a whole, a whole season is, is upon us. And like, we need to figure out what's happening. And then you just let it go and you're like, okay, time to time to make the show. And now we just go do the thing. And then I love that analogy. That's so good. You're back in it. And that uh, solidarity with the writers of Writers of course, Guild of Association as well. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Pay respect. That's very cool though. I like that. I like that. Because I'm so like regimented. Same appointment, same slot, once oh, a I week. Wish. Tuesday mornings. Yeah. I just get it done. And That's something cool. about like missing that feels like a void when it happens because of travel or you know other circumstances or whatever what about you I, Bradford? i, I envy that kind of regimented therapy uh i, I would say on, on average every seven to ten days is pretty much uh the, the cadence um my therapist is also a creative person and travels and works and does other things outside of therapy so we kind of throw days and times at each other like hey does this time work does this time work does this time work like to the point where uh she's had me in her airpods like driving from like san diego to la (laughs) and (laughs) i'm uh you know i'm home um in front of my computer talking to (laughs) you know the screen but she's (laughs) and vice versa it's definitely happened the other way around because my schedule is all over the place but in general i i like she and i've worked together for two and a half years now so we we have a, a rapport to where um just like uh, five minutes ago, I said, oh, shit, I am recording a podcast right now. <laughs> and she sent me a really sweet message back. She said, take care, do your thing. Your voice is needed, necessary, and transformative. Oh. So it That's is. Lovely. That was really lovely. Amazing. I've been on just like a, a, a more ad hoc as well. 
Like I've I've been just like once a month seeing my therapist, which has been nice because then you can always fit that in your schedule. We typically save this question towards the end of the podcast, but I'm curious to see how it lands up front. Do you have any, not necessarily goals, but intentions regarding your journey with mental health for the next period of your life, season, Uh, year? Yeah, I love that. That's a really good question. When I was younger, I was very like goal driven and um, laid everything out and had vision boards. And I still have all the like notebooks that I did my like two year, five year, 10 year goals and plans in. Um, And they served me really well for that period of time. But honestly, since I moved to America five and a half years ago now, and then moved back to England and then had my little one and everything's just been so like movable and changeable, but at the same time, very routine in terms of like being a parent in, in the space I'm in now that I think my short term goals, parenting's like the biggest thing in my life right now. And so my ultimate goal with that is just to be present. Like that's my overarching big goal that's my smallest goal that's the thing that I fight with whether that's at work or in my day-to-day life like get off your phone honey just be present or like let's you know go for a dog walk do I want to listen to music right now do I want to be present with the sounds of nature like so everything Mm. I'm just very much trying to be present in every area of my life or if I'm in the studio um presenting like I always set myself the intention before I go in, like how present can I be tonight with what I'm watching? Um, Cause it's so easy just to like scroll on your phone and watch golf. Cause that's what you do at home. Um, so that's, I'd say my short term one is just to be super present. My midterm goal is to, I'm very much like tackling my inner voice and that's been really amplified again since becoming a parent and understanding that my inner voice and outer voice becomes her voice so let's put a little bit more emphasis for me Mm. on like addressing that and being aware of that so making friends with that voice or or 10 of those voices um (laughs) and really just like (laughs) just like understanding like whose voice is that that's speaking right now is that mine or is that something from my past and Mm. how is that impacting me am i being gracious with myself uh, just sort of how I'm treating myself. That's like my big one. That's my medium term one right now. Um, and I think my long term one is just to be at peace with myself in whatever form that comes in at any given moment, at any time in my journey, just to be peace in the chaos, peace in the like, I'm being an asshole right now. Let's find peace in that. Like, <laughs> just yeah, that's that's probably like my my long term one. I've decided to be an asshole today, and I'm at peace with that. <laughs> no, that <laughs> yes, if if I could live like that long term every single day, like yeah, yeah, that's the goal. What is that? Uh, that that was a bar. My inner voice and my outer voice become her voice. That was uh, yeah, yeah. Pin that. Um, <laughs> what does that inner voice sound like? Is it is it critical? Is it encouraging is it the sound of someone from your past maybe your childhood or is it like you Mm. as you you know present now just maybe a few octaves lower and more evil (laughs) as mine is (laughs) i love i love that you recognize that that's in me (laughs) 
<laughs> we all got that dog in us. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I feel seen. Um, prior to the last, honestly, like six months, um, super critical, like perfectionist critical, which I used to revere being a perfectionist. Um, and I think the overall like awakening that we're having in humanity plus knowledge and information has brought that to light as like, that's not a good thing anymore. Um, and also, again, this comes with like me giving myself grace as like being okay that that served me at a time and a place, because I think that Mm. definitely did at one point in my life serve me. Um, and that is the thing that I'm trying to turn around now because like my daughter will make a mistake and I'll be like, oh, hey, like, that's fine. Let's just figure it out together. And I'll make yeah. a mistake and I'll be like, the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, why are you doing this mistake <laughs> again? And I had this like the real turning point for me was we were potty training her. And it's the first thing it sent me crazy. And it's the first I was like, I don't know why. It's the first thing in parenting that you're actively teaching them versus learn to walk, talk, eat, whatever, they'll get there on their own. You're not teaching them, they're just copying you. Potty training is the first thing that's like a social construct that you're teaching them. And so when she had an accident or made a mistake, I cried. This was, but in my, internally, I was like, the hell is going on? Like, this is weird. My husband was so supportive. (laughs) He just held me and like, he was super patient. But I was just like, two or three days into this and me and her like I've never shouted at her and I have no intention of ever doing it but like we she had some big meltdowns and I was very like you have to sit on the toilet and it was not like a voice that I typically used with her before and I didn't like the behavior I didn't recognize what was happening and I was like (laughs) it was when I was in a break from therapy and I was like I'm going to see Mm. the therapist right away and we just uncovered this really powerful stuff that how I said to her, I don't mind her making mistakes, but she should know, she knows what to do and she should know better. And my therapist was like, did you just hear what you said? And I was like, yeah, Mm. I just heard that. That was crazy. And so because I felt like she should know what to do, there was zero tolerance for mistakes. And that's, that was so illuminating on like my inner voice and how I was treating myself. And so that in turn put so much pressure on everything else because then I had to be a perfectionist because if I knew what to do, I couldn't possibly do anything other than that. So that's like in this moment right now, that's the inner voice that I'm really working on challenging and again, just giving grace to because I had this awful day in the studio and it was like just a really, really shitty day. And the next day I'd held it together for like, months after this and the next day I was so mean to myself in my brain like so Mm. awful and at one point in that being awful I was like this feels good Mm. which was another like revelation like whoa yeah whoa this is crazy like why does this feel good but then also just being like all of this is okay and later that day I got myself out of it and I was fine and I was like am I even allowed to be fine now because I was just so mean to myself and like Now I'm being nice to myself and like, is this okay? And I think a lot of it's just like giving myself permissions to not be perfect. And that was like a double whammy of like, I've been mean. It felt good. (laughs) Now I feel good, but I'm not allowed to feel bad. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) That's so Um, many things. 
so much. This is why I need breaks from therapy. Um, <laughs> yeah, you got to sit with that. <laughs> but you wow. know, I feel, yeah, I'm a very like it's taken me until my early 30s to figure out that like I'm a real deep thinker and feeler of all the things and like that's yeah. cool. Like I'm fine with that now whereas I think I've fought that for so long. Um and then I guess so that's like the main voice that I'm it's very critical and that 100% comes from my childhood and it's really fascinating because um my mum lives like six doors down from me and I have a sister who's 10 so like I get to see in a different way but like very much similarities I started to get to see like my childhood and what mm-hmm. was said to me played out Ooh, in wow. real time mm-hmm. in my 30s which is just like such a wildly unique position to be in and it just keeps throwing up stuff but also like has all these, all these realizations because I think a like you can never really sometimes you can if you're lucky but like it's very difficult to go back to your parents and be like hey how did you approach this because I think they remember things very differently or they deny things or they don't want to address things like even now my mom's like oh you know my era we did this and that was fine and you guys like think too much (laughs) you have too many options all this nonsense um but I actually like without even addressing anything with her or having any arguments I just get to see like how she thinks and feels and the narratives of things albeit slightly softened years later like playing out in front of me so I get to see like what she says about food and then I get to consider my relationship with food or like how she criticizes homework and then I get to see my relationship with that so it's like fascinating very intense sometimes but yeah interesting dynamic that's like a real world Ebenezer Scrooge kind yeah. of situation. Yeah. I get to see that, like, and I get to see parts of, oh, I think I've internalized that. Like, that's an inner right. voice that I have. Um, and I, like, aside from my mom, I had, like, a very difficult childhood. So I think, like, unpicking all of that and some of those inner voices things as well, you're like, okay, that one's not me. This one is me. And especially becoming a parent, like unpicking generational trauma is in real time while you're on the job, especially like I know everyone's probably doing it like, you know, we're all unpicking that. But I think unpicking it in real time on the job when you get triggered by stuff and you're like, whoa, (laughs) what did that? What button? Whose button? Who installed installed that button? button. What was pressed? How do I like? Who installed the button? Yes. Damn you for installing the button. Yeah. You yeah. know who you are. <laughs> Damn you. Now I have to do an uninstall. Right. Thank you for sharing all that. I, and I, I was tuned in especially to um, the inner voice question or the inner voice, you know, uh, bit that you shared. Um, just because it's 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 a mirror to kind of what I deal with a little bit. And some of the things you said resonate with me, um, like as far as like who that inner voice is, where it's coming from and like how mean it is, how critical it is. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and perfectionism is a use that you, uh, a word that you used. Um, so would like to pull in that thread a little bit. Um, how does that, how did that show up for you when you first recognized, whoa, I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dialed up to 11 because I made this tiny mistake how did that show up for you? Mm. To be honest, I think it's always been there. It's sort of like 
reared its head in different ways. I'd say it first came up in my teenage years. So I won't go into like detail because I'm not ready to tell that story yet, but I had like a horrific childhood, like bad movie, bad childhood. Um, And we grew up really, really poor. So um, I think in my teens, when I knew I was good at golf, then it became like a, I cannot ever waste an opportunity. Like every opportunity is a way out. And so I put an intense pressure on myself to perform and achieve in order to get out. So that's why I say like at one point, I really think it did serve me because I think if I didn't have that drive, I wouldn't have gone out and made it to where I made it to. And I think that drive then came on to um, being like the perfect human um, mm. because I, the, my childhood was so bad that I didn't like, I didn't have any uh, familial like things to work off of in terms of like, oh, my family's interested in art or literature or like, like there wasn't room for that. Any, no, no, I just, I literally wasn't even taught like a route. Like what I remember when I retired from golf, I had to teach myself like a routine in the morning of like, okay, we get up and we brush our teeth Mm -hmm. and we shower. And like, cause literally like none of that stuff was taught to me. So, um, I think then it became about like, okay, what does the perfect human look like? Like, how do I become that? And also I was in this Mm. world of like, I'm in golf and everyone comes from like these amazing backgrounds and like, I can't show that I'm not that. So it was literally like gala dinners in my teens after golf events, (laughs) like watching everyone vividly being like, how do I dress, behave, act? What things do I need to read, see, be, do? And, you know, I think I became the ultimate, like, yeah, perfectionist in terms of like, I want to strive to become, I put so much pressure on myself to become this like perfect human. And then within that, there's obviously like the perfectionist construct of professional golf and wanting to be perfect in everything that you do. And, and then I think it's like, you're kind of set, right? Because that's how you approach everything in this got to be perfect way. So then when I retired and I started working in TV, I was like, how do I dress speak act like a broadcaster to my point earlier about that like uh I used to write everything down in like a two five ten year I had all of that going on I was trying to figure things out and I just completed like seven years of therapy and career was like pretty solid and then I moved to the U.S. and literally had to like put all that stuff Mm. aside because the job with Discovery was just so crazy and I was moving to a new country and yeah didn't think about any of that just sort of went with it all and I don't think I was that was the first time that I think because I lost those constructs and I think was spiritually more aware and was a lot more settled I sort of dropped the perfectionist stuff a bit because I think to my inner self the whole sort of like slowing everything down pairing everything back was starting to like come into my mind I think me myself was starting to like come through from this like me that I felt I should have been Moving back here is really funny because I looked at those at the notepad Mm. that I'd found and um, I'd achieved all of those (laughs) things, which was like funny and cool. But at the same time, I was like, now I have no goals other than just like 
to, to, to like be and get through the first couple of years of parenthood and like perfectionism does not feature in that at all. And it's actually providing a wow. ton of pressure. And it wasn't since coming back here that I've, you know, I have an amazing boss at Sky and he was just like, you don't need to speak like a broadcaster. Like we want you because you're different and we want you. And he's given me so much confidence and um, literally is, is, it's an ongoing development, honestly, <laughs> like in terms of the undoing of all the perfectionist yeah. bullshit. Um, and even like last week I was in the studio and I was like, I'm going to use words and say things and do promos in my own way and like in my own language and just be myself. Mm. So it's still very much like that's the history of the, of the a short history of Henny's perfectionism. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's still like... It's still ongoing, but I had this like moment the other day when my daughter used the word perfect for the first time. She was coloring her hands in and she goes, uh, I'm coloring my hands, mum." And I was like, oh, that's cool. She's like, yeah, I'm just going to f- do it so it's perfect. And I was like, huh. And in my head, I'm like, shit, 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 shit. <laughs> but exter- yeah. <laughs> yeah. externally, I was like, huh. I was like, I don't feel like, imagine if you were perfect all the time. Don't you think that would be super boring? And she was like, yeah, I guess. And I was like, yeah. I was like, what about if you do it good enough? And she was like, okay. <laughs> so she goes, I'm just going to color good enough. And I was like, ah, oh, yes. But even that's like, a life lesson imparted. Absolutely. In an instant. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I feel like Damn. parenting is. Every single day, there's always this like, there's always these moments throughout the day as parenting where you're like, okay. How am I going to tackle this and this one and this one? Um, but that was something like, you know, in motherhood, I transferred it to that, the perfectionism. I was like, I want to be the perfect yeah. mother because I've had this really tough childhood and I've learned all these things. And so now I have to be perfect mum because I want to instill all this stuff that I've learned into her. And I, it really took like six months for my therapist to be like, that's not a good thing. Like, you, you know, you can't be the perfect mother. And I was like, no, of course I can that's silly and she's like no you can't because if you were perfect the perfect mother you would put way too much pressure on her to then be the perfect mother or to be perfect in her life so she's like you can't you're screwed you will fuck her up in some way (laughs) and I was like I can't accept that but it really it took me a while now I'm like okay I accept that I'm gonna fuck up like I'm gonna mess up and that's got to be okay and she really introduced me to this concept of like good enough which I'm trying to like embody now. Mm. Holy shit, Henny. Uh, there's so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> there I'm a so much, I just ramble. <laughs> there is so much, there is so much to unpack with all of that. What, a, what an unbelievable outlook. First of all, golf is such an interesting medium and vehicle for people who are interested in perfection. And I want to dial back a little bit to, early childhood when you when you got into golf just because the the margins between success and failure in golf are so minuscule as you're teaching yourself all of these things observing how do i sit how do i what do i watch what do i do with my hands how do i how do i be a person in society do you feel like that was uh turned up to 11 because it was in a golf context golf is so routine driven Mm. and so etiquette based on things that are not 
commonsensical. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word. You're not give, there's no natural understanding of A, the golf swing, or B, how to act on a golf course. It takes a great deal of observation and sponginess right. to receive that information and put it into practice. Yeah. And it just it strikes me that you're you've got to be an off the charts observational an off person. the charts sponge. <laughs> an off um, the charts sponge. I also am Mrs. I'm that person that has zero battery, so let me just go plug in my laptop because <laughs> I just realize it's on 1% and then I will come back to that. This is the story of my life. This is also why I'm <laughs> Before you answer the bigger more serious question, what's your golf toxic trait? I don't really want to admit to it, but that's okay. We can go first if it makes you more comfortable. No, I can do it. I need to do it. Okay. My golf toxic okay. trait is sometimes I don't clean my clothes after a round. Okay. That's manageable. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I can live with that. Yeah. But that's okay. the perfectionist in you admitting <laughs> a flaw. Yes. And also you it. fighting back. Yeah. Sometimes my wedges like, oh, that's you. That's yeah. subversive as fuck. Yeah. I want to discuss the fighting back more because I feel like that has a, that's maybe my next step in my journey. I'm here for that. It's the fighting back. Yeah. Favorite podcast. Can we get you to say Um, that one more time? And this time say group golf therapy is. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly, okay. So usually with podcasts, I'm like, sure, I'll do it. But I'm not Mm. super thrilled. Whereas this one, I genuinely was excited. And then I was like, is it nerdy if I send Brad a text being like, I'm so excited today. We encourage that. And that I'm honored and I appreciate that. (laughs) um okay but in all seriousness group golf therapy is my favorite podcast okay um all right thanks for everything it's been real i'll see you later (laughs) and it's been real we're done this is this is the end we got him okay um to your question i yeah with the sponginess Mm -hmm. that's a great word yeah, like honestly, at one point, um, <laughs> yeah, I remember like my second or third year as being professional, I definitely had OCD, like not mm. in the popular sense of the term. Like I had to take everything mm. off at the end of the day and line it up on the sink and mm. wash my hands three times and press light switches three times. And like it was problematic, but I think that's probably quite common in golfers, if I had to guess, just because everything is so like the straight lines of the um, alignment stick when you're mm. practicing. Like if that, that can't be off the straight lines of the camera angle, the setup, everything's extremely like routine based, which I think you can find comfort in. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting what you said about like golf. I never thought of it like that being very, having so many things that don't come naturally that you have to learn from like a social etiquette point of view. Like I remember being a kid of like nine, 10 years old. And I used to play with this, all the older ladies at the golf club, of course. So they were in their like seventies. And aside from having this tin of lemon sherbets that she produced at like the ninth, which I was always gunning for. um, She was always like, I would always get compliments about um, my etiquette on the golf course. And that was like, this thing that I was like, cool, I got to do that more and more Mm. now. Like, walking back on my footprints through the sand and like raking perfectly and 
I don't think, I think those things just like raking a bunker. That's like the ultimate thing that you have to get right. Otherwise there's like great yeah. shame. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. Um, great shame. Great shame. <laughs> great shame. I was walking around with Tiger at the PGA in Tulsa and Joe's like the other side of the green in a practice round doing something. He hits a few shots in the bunker and I was like, sure, I'll rake it for you without even thinking. And then as I dig the rake in, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be so judged <gasps> for this. Like I have oh. to make sure this is the perfect Rick, there is a lot of that with golf. Whenever I speak to friends about like, hey, do you want to play golf? I feel like it's so intimidating because of that. But I've never really considered yeah. that before. Because, I've, you know, it's just been my whole life as golf. I've not really been exposed to like basketball or football or anything at different levels. But I can very much imagine through my husband who played football that there was no like gala dinners and stuff <laughs> or like <laughs> etiquette on the football field that you had to try and figure out. But I've literally right. never considered that until this moment. You know, this is something that I personally have been working on in therapy for a long time as a, an observant person. I grew up, I think, constructing a lot of my identity based on what I learned through observation. And I think a lot of us do to a certain extent, but there's, you know, there are people who have that mm -hmm. heightened as I've been unpacking that and learned that a lot of my identity previously had been constructed through observation and through chameleoning and adopting languages and behaviors that were around me as a means to mm -hmm. assimilate. As soon as you take that away, you're left with the question, mm -hmm. well, who am I? What's, mm -hmm. what's actually there? I'm curious to Turn that to you. Did you have you had that question as competitive mm. golf left your life? What remains? Who is Henny? Mm. Who am I? If if these you know this this entire system that I've built my identity around is no longer there in the way that it was. Yeah, that's really interesting. I feel like um, you're going to hear me reference parenting a lot because I feel like that's, as I said, it's the biggest thing in my life right now. And it's been so illuminating to become a parent and to see um, how you treat your children directly correlate to their personalities. Mm. And so one huge thing that I've learned um, is that it's almost like a survival technique that is heightened because you have to certainly on my case, I can't speak for anyone else, but for my case, I had to be hyper aware of like moods and um, <clears throat> how to act on any given moment in order to not mm -hmm. upset mm -hmm. the apple cart. I feel very strongly now through my 33 years of wisdom, which doesn't feel like a lot, but you know, I'll take what I can get, um, that success in any form is not really healthy at all to the to the soul but <laughs> in terms of within our capitalist society so therefore i see success or successful people as like owning a double-edged sword so like for me i think one of my the reasons i'm successful is i'm very good with people and that sponge likeness like i can take information from any scenario and i can apply that almost instantly but also like my people skills are such that like if I'm talking to you I might sometimes purposely like mirror your head position or your body movements or like I'm so aware in every 
social interaction of what you're doing and what I'm doing and what you're saying without saying it and what I'm saying without saying it. And I feel like I'm very aware of like energies and language and just all of that stuff. Right. So that's like the double edged sword in that. Yes, that can sometimes be like, you know, um, not great for me. But on the flip side, that is without question mm. why I'm successful in within that definition mm. of success. You can't take away one side of the sword. You can't blunt one side of the sword without blunting the mm. other one. Mm. So I think if I were to take that away fully, and I have experienced that because sometimes like being in the position I'm in, oftentimes people will ask me questions about myself a lot. Sometimes I genuinely lose the skill to ask people questions about themselves. And I'm like, because of how I'm treated. And I'm like, that's not like, that's not me. That's not right. Mm. Don't like that. Let's just keep like, mm. it's something that I'm always trying to like stay on top of. Um, but that would be like, if we blunted that sword right off and I wasn't inquisitive or interested or curious, like in people, um, then I would just be, you know, I think I'd lose that. Yeah. I would just be a bit of an ass and like sort of just, you know, be on a path that I don't want to be. I think I'm constantly questioning, like, am I constantly questioning, like, am I happy with how I'm showing up in the world right now? Yeah. On this day, yeah. in this moment, with these people, am I giving the right energy that I want to get? Not like the right energy, but like, am I giving the energy that I want to give? Am I showing up how I want to show up? And like from a place that is that feels good to you, too. Is authentic, yes. Yeah, can't, without question. Can't pour from think, an empty cup. I almost think the real inner voice is silent. I would love to know what that's like. If ever I'm asking myself that question and I'm trying to find who I am, that comes from a place of meditation, from stillness, yeah. from quiet, yeah, yeah, always. Yeah. And then the answer always throws itself up. And I have to stop striving and stop trying and just lay right back and just listen. Just listen. Yeah. Really, I think is like the thing. But I was really, really lucky through golf that I had a sports psychologist who I knew since I was like 13. And um, in my early 20s, he always he always uses these phrases. He always says, get eat you need to get curious about this. Hmm. Yeah. So get curious about where you're at right now, who you, how you are. And I feel like that's such a wonderful saying because it takes so much pressure yeah. off. And I think it always without fail, like changes my mindset. Um, so whether that's like, get curious about the shot, get curious about how you're feeling right now or curious about, you know, who you are. And I think for me, like anyone who knows me will say that I, love helping people it's like that is the core essence of who I am um and so in my early 20s I had a back injury and I said to him I was like I can't believe that because it was sort of like this could be career ending and eventually it was but I was like can't believe I never got around to like creating my charity and doing the things I wanted to do to help people like that's the thing that hurt me because golf was going to be my vehicle for that and he was like well you know you don't have to like wait for that like what if you just start, you can start doing that now. And he connected me with this charity that like helped young people get their lives back on track through sport. And so I started 
doing that right then and there. But like him saying that to me and that experience really showed me like you can, to me, I was like, I can be who I want to be, even if I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. And that was like the first threads of me figuring out what made me tick outside of golf. And then when my career did end, like you said, to this like thing that was always like my life and was always there. And that was like my journey and identity. And um, I think when that stripped back, it took me like three years to figure out how to show up and be mm. and who I was. But then at the same time, it was just like, looking back at it now, it was this incredible time of like, I don't have to go mm. to the driving range. <laughs> I can do right. whatever I want right now. That's amazing. <laughs> like, I don't have to travel. I can show up for my sister's birthday party. Mm-hmm. That's oh. amazing. Like, I've always said that family is important to me, but now I can actually show. I think I could actually, I think I always knew somewhere who I was, but like, I could actually start living and breathing that after golf. Yeah. So it was this like amazing time of discovery. Yeah. It's like, uh, it reminds me of, I don't know, first day of summer holiday or (laughs) the week after quitting or losing a job. It's weird and it's dramatic, but there's (laughs) opportunity in that loss as well. I really love what you said about success being a double-edged sword. I, I think that is, I, I completely agree. And I, I also really love how you applied it to your situation with your sponginess and people skills. You also mentioned Tiger. I mean, and, in, and there might be no greater example of somebody who bears a double-edged sword when it comes to success, mm-hmm. right? Mm. You've spent so much time in his presence on camera, on broadcast. I'm curious like how you saw that success manifest for him. I have to sort of think about that because it's tricky for me to like separate the him that I know with the him that like right. shows up. Right. But I think it's really cool that everyone sort of definitely got more of an insight into who he is over the last like five, six years. In large part to your friendship. Hmm. So thank you. True your work. <laughs> well, yeah, you're the conduit yeah. to a lot of that. Well, again, this that goes back to like knowing who you are because when I first started in broadcast, I was like, all these guys know all the history of all these tournaments and who won the nineteen seventy something <laughs> open. Like, I don't give a fuck to even <laughs> know that. Like, no part of me cares. Me I don't me. care. Yeah. Like <laughs> I <laughs> we, we don't we don't either. This yeah. is the wrong podcast. But that's like that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like broadcaster 101 is to know that stuff. And I'm just like, yeah. I think that was when I really had to look at myself and be like, I have to admit that I don't care. I'm never gonna care, and that's just not gonna be the way that I go about things. And in fact, like just the way that I view the world is that I remember being a teenager and in my early twenties and being super pissed off that I didn't know who the most famous astrologer or poet was right now, but I knew who Kim Kardashian was. Mm. And I was like, this just feels wrong to my soul. (laughs) Like 
don't get me wrong, I scroll emus with the best of them, but like something just didn't sit right with you. No, and so the answer is Neil deGrasse Tyson for the record on 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 all of the above. Thank you. He's also the most famous Kardashian. But I think from like a sincere place, not in like a. I I really just don't care who anyone is. Yeah. Like if you're, I don't care if you're Tiger. Don't care if you're David Beckham. Don't care if you're Messi. And I don't care if you're a street sweeper or a homeless person for that matter. Like, and that's not just something I'm saying. Like, I truly, to my core, do not mm-hmm. care. As far as I'm concerned, like, we're all people and everybody deserves the same level of respect from me. Like, if you're an asshole and you're super famous, I could care less. Like, I'm not spending time with you. And so that, I think, for me was, like, almost the key to the whole Tiger job was that, like, genuinely, and I'm very, I don't know if I should be admitting this, but sometimes I have to Google and remind myself how many majors he's won. It's that bad. (laughs) (laughs) Like, such do I not think about those things. Yeah, I just treated him the same way I would treat you guys or anyone else and approach that job in the same way but it was cool to like like he said to me the other day as well and I said the same thing like I didn't go into that job expecting that we would become friends I very much went into that Mm. like I don't know how this is gonna be but like cool let's go with it and then like our friendship has been the thing that's like really come out of that which has been you know great for us but also I think hopefully you know helpful to for other people to see that side of him like you know, when we did some shoots and him explaining that like he grew up sleeping in a bed, wrestling for space with all his dogs. Like, (laughs) I love that. And that really does like embody how he is at home with his dogs. So, you know, there's been these threads of like unveiling his personal life, which, you know, he's actually really um, very wise. Like he's a person I'd go to for advice. Um, has a great outlook on things and parenting as well. I will say that he finds an incredible amount of simplicity within Mm. his life, which I really admire. And I think I try to echo that in my life. Like a lot of the times I will genuinely think like, how would Tiger approach this? Mm. Like on a at home, like personal level in the midst of like a busy stretch, I'll always make time to spend find time and make time to spend with my daughter and he's instilled in me the importance of like dropping off to school and picking up from school and that's been echoed by like other friends that I have who are you know very wise and um you know like doing less so that I can do more various times I think that's I think the you know sometimes things look super intense and busy externally I think for him but actually there's a a real level of simplicity and the relationship that you i'm really glad that you pointed that out because the relationship that you take away from the job that's the success that's the truth of it the three of us talk about that a lot with each other that if group golf therapy disappeared tomorrow the three of us would still be firmly in each other's lives Mm. forever y'all gonna have to get rid of me 
Yeah, I think the, your relationships in life are like the thing that kind of makes you. Like I'm that person that like I'm chatting to my neighbors over the fence and I'm inviting them in for a cup of tea, like on both sides of my house. I'm like, you know, I, I love that. And I go walk my dog and I'm friends with the people that live on the common where I walk my dog and we stop and have chats and on a, you know, on a lower level. And then on a higher level, I think the, you know, quality of your friendships, I think says a lot about you as a person and, you know, being able to be there for certain friends when they need you. And, but I, you know, I will say that like, I'm pretty cold and cutthroat in my friendships. Like I know if I don't, I don't have like toxic friends or toxic people in my life. There is no, I purpose have a purpose built drama free mm-hmm. life. Mm. So those types of situations don't really factor in, but like you sort of collect friends and people along the way that, you you know you got them for Mm -hmm. life and I feel like there's some people that don't even have to say anything to me but you can be within like five foot of me and I'm like nope not my (laughs) person (laughs) you can just tell on a molecular level like this is not gonna work nope (laughs) it's really wholesome to think about you uh you know, engaging with your, your surroundings like that, you know, just peeking over the fence and inviting your neighbor over for tea, walking your dog. Like that's, that's a really sweet thought for me to have, uh, and, and, and vision of you to have. And something that, um, that's brought to light for me is how you say, you know, that the people you keep around you, your circle, your friends, um, say a lot about you. And, and that kind of echoes something that I say, um, in that, I'm just a mosaic of all of the people in my life, the, the life experiences, the, you know, good and the bad, like all of it make up the person you see before you, all of it informs the way that I speak, act, walk, talk, you know, engage with all these things. Mm. Um, so, I mean, if nothing else, it stre- stresses the importance of knowing that your Nope radar is is tuned and dialed um you know to kind of mitigate some of those negative experiences but also like in the event you're in a in a situation where your nope radar isn't the the you know the end all be all the the judge of of the situation and you're in a situation where you can't necessarily like a work situation for example you get an assignment you don't really you know i'm not in love with this knowing that stepping into it with, you know, that knowledge and that power is still, still makes a part of your mosaic, right? <laughs> Cause you know, ah, I'm never going to do that again. Or. I, yeah. I think there's like, there's so many things as you're talking that like come up. And I think one thing I do want to be super clear on is like, I've spoken a lot about where I've come from, but and I hate it when other people do this, I'm not going to do this, is that I don't want to belittle like the intense amount of work that I've done on figuring out who I am now oh, at yeah. 33. And sometimes mm. that's looked like hours in a room with a candle lit and like childhood pictures and like crying, Ooh. which is like, <laughs> but like I've truly like Speaking done that work. And <laughs> yeah. um, 
and writing letters to young me mm. and like really unpacking everything, all of the layers and like then sitting intensely year after year after year going, who am I? What do I want? What drives me? And that quest, those questions coming up time and time again, being on a similar theme. Mm. And now that's like my guiding, that's my guidance system. That's my radar. And I always return back to that. And I, you know, that will, I'm sure shift and move slightly, but I really have spent time knowing the essence of me and how I want to show up in every single scenario. So to the first thing that you mentioned on like my lifestyle now, I was in America and I was at one point, so I've always been about the house, right? <laughs> that was my thing. No, no handbags, no shoes, no cars, no watches, the house. And so um, at one point I have the house in the gated community in Scottsdale. It's got the swimming pool. It's got this five bedroom house. Like it's the house. It's got a gym. It's got everything. It's the one. I was working for Discovery, CBS, Documentaries, PGA Tour, Sky, and Golf Channel. I was literally at the peak of my game, (laughs) right? I was at the peak of it, and I could have kept going. But I looked at myself, and I was not happy. Because... There was when when you what I realized was when you have those things like the I had the Tesla I had the house as I explained I had the vault I had like everything when you have those things and you have to maintain those things and in order to maintain those things the lifestyle I was living was not mm-hmm. aligning with who I was and what I valued so I would in an instant of like what does that mean I would read things and see things on people living very simple lives, pairing everything back, spending time with family, spending time in nature. And I'd be like, oh, that's so cool. I want that. I want that. Hey, Henny, can you do this nature thing? Okay, no, I've got to get on the (laughs) flight because i got to go do this thing. And so the years were stacking up, right? How I was living, how I I was living, how I was, it's not how I was feeling. That was a terrible sentence, but you get the general gist. And so again, when I had my daughter, that was a catalyst because I was like, I cannot do this. Like I can't show up in the world like this. But from the outside, I was super successful. Everything was looking great. I remember very clearly I was at the Northern Trust and I was in the gym there and I was looking out at the Hudson and I was in so much pain. I'm broadcasting for two broadcasters and doing a PJ tour documentary going out on CBS that week with my whole family there um, at a FedEx Cup playoff event. And I looked out at the Hudson and I was like, I would just love to sing Kunda right now and just mm. have peace. Like I'm just wow. so unhappy. And the next week I called three of those employers and was like, I have to move back to England. I can't do this anymore. Mm. Like I, wow. I'm done. And so when we were moving back, I was like, I want a really small cottage in nature. I want a simple life. Like, this is my chance to, like, walk the walk here, right here, right now. Like, you have to make these decisions, Henny. And so I stepped away from all all but one of those jobs 
which actually for the next couple of years was kind of hard when I saw other people doing those things. And I was like, like the ego in me was like, ah, I should be having those opportunities. And I'm like, no, just remember. And that's why it's so important to get that inner guidance system. Because then I had to keep coming back to that. Like, no, I've questioned myself on this. Ask the questions again. The answers are the same. This is this is living authentically to me. And it's really hard sometimes to make those changes. But now, like, I'm there. I'm present when I need to be. I work in the evenings in the studio. Yes, it's a little rough on sleep sometimes. But, like, tomorrow I have nothing to do in the daytime until four o'clock so I'm like what do I want to do I, I want to take I literally was thinking this earlier on I was like I want to take my daughter and the dogs out for a nature walk when we go mm. for a nature walk I'm in no rush we'll sit down and we'll build a little house from sticks and we'll <laughs> throw a stick in the lake for the dog and like we'll spend a couple hours there and have a picnic and like I'll just f- spend tomorrow filling up her cup and it's mm. sometimes super cool when I'm in those moments and I'm like, ah, oh, I've intentionally chosen this and this feels really You've good. You've chosen your soft life. And mm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, I, that's not, it's not for everyone. I'm not categorically not saying, some people will be very unhappy with my life. I'm sure <laughs> of it. You know, it's not like a, I'm not preaching and saying this is, you know, how it should be, but this is just my lessons. And so to your final point of like, how do you show up at work if you don't like stuff? Or you, nah, nah, nah. I feel like through the years I've, you know, figured out my, how does Henny want to show up at work? What's important to me? What do I want to be? You know, I've seen people act a certain way and I've seen people act in a more professional manner. And so my general ethos is, and also I've seen people advocate for themselves, namely older white men, which has actually been like really interesting to see because they have no qualms about saying no to something like in there on the job. And it's just this really cool confidence that I'm like, all right, cool. I've seen that. Like women maybe don't have that. Black people maybe don't have that because you're thinking, I'm just so grateful. I've got this Mm -hmm. opportunity versus yeah, damn right. It's this opportunity and no, I'm not doing that. Right. And so, um, like I mentor a lot of the young women coming up through the golf industry now. And one of the young women, I was like, she was having a really tough time, even though from the outside, everything looked great. And I was like, find your no for strengthen your no muscle. Like that's super important. Yeah. And so for me, like I'm never going to do anything. I don't feel comfortable. doesn't represent me because it's my face out on camera and it's my voice. So even if you're the world's best producer, you cannot make me say or do anything that is going to be, opposed to what represents me or how I feel and I've really had to go to battle a few times like on wording in scripts and then and I've sat there in a voiceover room and just been like I'm not saying that get someone else <laughs> I, I I give zero and that's the thing about like my life footprint's pretty like low so if you don't pay me you don't want to pay me you don't want to do this job like sweet yeah I've bought myself the time to say no to you so no and then ne- they never back down. I've bought myself the but time like, so to that's say the no like, to you. If... Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I'm helping with the therapy. I told you. I already told you what it's going to be at the top. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you've delivered. So I'll be invoicing you or you should invoice me. And, uh, 
other way, yeah. around. other way around. <laughs> and then to the like um, situations I'm in where maybe I don't want to do. We all have that right. It's early. It's late. It's inconvenient. I've always said that I, again, my inner guidance system says I want to show up and I want to be professional and I want to have bring good energy to the team. Like I love people that bring good energy and that you can feel, don't you all love those people that you turn up to work and you're just like, yes, I'm working with so-and-so. And I was just yeah. like, I I always want to be that. So like on an example, person. yeah, the glue, like the glue a, guy. a weekend just gone, there was like the glue guy. <laughs> I love that. The, <laughs> there was... um. Rain delays in Detroit, our on-air times are all thrown off. We had to come in early the next day after being on way late the night before. And our producer sent a message in the group chat and he was like, I'm really sorry. We have to come in early. I hope that's okay. Da, da, da. And because I'm the presenter, everyone's waiting for me to respond. And so my response sets mm-hmm. the tone. And I was just like, oh, this is such a cool opportunity to exercise that. And I was just like, hey, absolutely no problem. I'm going to bring the energy. We're going to do great. Don't worry about it. And then everyone else yeah. sent the gifts of like, yeah, let's do it. But I could so easily have said, I was dead, man. Like I woke up in the morning at 6.30 with the toddler and just chucked the TV on. I was like, no parenting is being done right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was just like, you know, I could easily have sent a gift, like a funny, like, oh, I'm so tired, like kind of vibe. But I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to show up professionally and as Drew said, be the glue. So that's my like two answers mm-hmm. for like when I don't want to do something or if like I want to say no or if I'm in a situation where I'm like, all right, I just want to be professional and have mm-hmm. good energy. Number one on the call sheet that uh, you, you carry a lot on, on those shoulders. And I'm, I'm happy to know if we're ever presented with the opportunity to work with you. Um, we're in good hands. <laughs> Any the glue and the tone setter. I love that. We should hit some of our meat and yes. potatoes questions. These meat and potato Absolutely. questions we ask to all of our guests. Go for it. It's actually strange for me to be interviewed on a podcast because usually I'm the one asking questions. That's why I'm purposely just like being quiet sometimes. You're doing great. We'll lead off with our with a GGT house favorite. But first, I, I'm curious, um, what accent does your daughter have? Oh, English, <laughs> super English, but like okay. Essex English when she was younger. So like instead Whoa. of saying babe, she'd be like, babe. <laughs> babe. You're right, babes. <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny because I call my husband babe, as I'm sure the majority oh, of relationships man. do when they're like, you know, and you're like, I'm not going to be that couple that says babe. And then you're like, hey, babe. <laughs> um, <laughs> Johnny Essex. but because i call him that so much she started calling him that so when she's like from the top of the stairs she's like i needed something she goes just get baked together that's so funny yeah at the top of the stairs yelling down to him and she's like babe in her little essex accent adorable in an essex accent very very sweet oh my gosh that's amazing (laughs) if she says anything american like if i've been working a lot in the evenings and he stays at home with her and she'll be like, Oh yeah, I've just got to go select some pants. I'm like, no, they're <laughs> right. Daddy. right, right, right. No pants. I have, there's no Daddy pants in American. this household. He says things weirdly. <laughs> they are trousers. <laughs> That's funny. That's great. Okay. Henny, what are some of your favorite golf smells? Oh, fresh cut grass. Then there's this like 
gorse bush that's on Lynx courses in England mm. that's like yellow like flowering and it smells like coconut. And that, that's like... Just don't touch it. No. Gorse bushes bite it. back. Don't hit your golf ball in it. Just smell it. So good. Those two. They're, they're so thorny oh. and they're covered in Ooh. oil oh. and they are the sharpest thorns you'll ever find. It's all over it's all over England and, and Ireland and Scotland. And it's at uh they have it at Bandon Dunes as well. There's gorse bush all over Bandon. And um you need a the suit of armor you need to go in there to get a lost ball is mm. immense. So it's just it's pure optics and ironclad um, for for your nostrils then, this these gorse bushes. It's a hazard. It sounds like this yeah. plant is designed to kill me. So the fact that it lines <laughs> golf courses yeah. worldwide apparently is concerning. Yeah, it does I smell don't know. Good, I though. feel like I've just, it I smells like coconut. I've just taken it for granted this whole time. I didn't really, just that it's there. It's just like a bunker, a water hazard. It's, it's a golf course staple. And then my third and final one is um, musty old person macarons. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. The fact that you led with musty is There's really funny be. to me. <laughs> musty. <laughs> You know, you know the smell. You know, everyone knows it. <laughs> everyone knows it. Musty old person yeah. smell. Yeah. Clubman's Reserve. Okay, Henny. I love that. We, you, you may have had the opportunity to have had a a walk up song in your in your career, as your career was much more illustrious than three of ours. Uh, golfing career true um if you com- definitely combined combined um, if you if you had a a walk-up song <laughs> uh for a tournament what would that walk-up song be common sense i used to love her whoa that's the first common uh on, on the ggt playlist yeah, for sure. i feel like it's swaggy it's got a good beat that's such kind a good... of i love common and his yeah. lyrics it kind of embodies me <laughs> uh so let's say i used to love her plays in the speakers on your opening tee shot at this tournament mm. you win the tournament they bring you back the following year and you're hosting a dinner in your a champion's dinner in your mm. honor what is on the menu and food can be from anywhere flown in anywhere no budget chef can be whoever you want here with us or in in the afterlife the kitchen in the sky for this dinner this is how important this dinner is to you they're using their pans (laughs) that have been that have been cooked in Mm -hmm. generations of grease and love and meals okay first course or the aperitif is a baked camembert Mm. with rosemary and honey drizzle and some very lightly toasted olive sourdough to dip in. Mm. Then my second course is some lobster mac and cheese mm. <clears throat> with a side, like yes. a green side salad with very light French dressing on top. Mm. And then just for gluttony, I'm going to add a side of crusty tiger loaf with olive oil and balsamic. What is tiger loaf? What's tiger loaf? What is on the tiger um, loaf? Like 
fresh baked so like the bread itself is just like a white loaf but then on the top it has like the scores I think it might have like a bit of cheese in that. I don't even know. That's such a good question. I'm going to Google that right now. It's a very okay. common thing. Dutch crunch. Dutch crunch. Tiger loaf. It has a mottled crust. I don't know what yeah. mottled means. Does it... It's like it has like crackalan on top or something. Yeah. And then the main. That... Oh, sorry, sorry. That's first, second, third. I'm purposely not labeling them as like main or whatever because there's multiple here. So the third course would be a shepherd's pie traditional mm. lamb or beef lamb oh. yeah correct lamb Oof. shepherd's pie with worcester sauce like a whole just a bottle of worcester sauce on the side so that i can add to my discretion <laughs> and then um a side of like the wholesome steamed veg so like carrots peas mm. broccoli just steamed nothing else oh with butter on top i like after okay, that, right. I'm going to go for a double dessert courses. The first one being like a really nice honeycomb cheesecake with like, hi, you came in at the right time at ice cream talk. Mm. Yes. Smart right? boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, kids have an ice cream radar. They know. They know. They True. know. They can hear the, they can sniff the word out from like yes. five miles away. <laughs> um, yes. So like a, a honeycomb cheesecake with a caramel ice cream on the side. Okay. And maybe like a hard cracked like chocolate drizzle on top. But the biscuit to cheesecake mm -hmm. ratio, importantly, has to be like half to half. I don't want to be skimped on my biscuit. That's a that's a hot take. And <laughs> I don't all the way disagree with you. Like, I, I, I still want the proportions like, like, cl okay. maybe closer to 70, 30, 60, well, 40, maybe yeah. 60, not 40, your cheesecake. But I, I need biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 right. So, no, but I appreciate the discussion. I welcome all discussion to my menu. <laughs> and then it would finish up. I, Thank I just you. wanted to agree it's with very you. Important. Biscuit Otherwise, ratio is very important. Otherwise, you spend your time digging for the biscuit at a diagonal angle. Yeah. And what are you to do with the leftover cheese? <laughs> right. Nothing. Nothing. It goes to waste. It can't be Throw eaten it away. without It biscuit. looks ridiculous. Right. It can't, I it agree. So right away. Alone. Cannot. Yeah. It's a problem. And then I'm going to finish up with um, a sticky toffee pudding with oh, two scoops raisins. of ice cream. Not one. One would ruin the whole situation in a similar biscuit ratio discussion. It's all about the two ratio. Two scoops yeah. of vanilla bean ice cream. Mm. Not just vanilla. Come Not like French vanilla. Vanilla bean. I want bean. the dots vanilla in there. Vanilla bean. You the want the dots. dots. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, vanilla pimples. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I want the vanilla, vanilla pimples pimple. and then um, a peppermint tea Gosh. to wash it down. But like, I would like to wine pair with that throughout the course of the meal as well. So that like, you know, mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. is complemented nicely and then finished up with a peppermint tea. I have wow. to applaud the tremendous mm -hmm. amount of thought you've given this question. <laughs> yes. That's beautiful. That might be the most thorough answer we've ever received. I lived. Oh, a thousand percent is. I tasted that answer. 
No, like not in oh. actual life, but just as I was regaling oh, the menu. Right, right. I would love to live that in real life. Let's make that. Let's make that happen. I wow. like that. Mm. Please, can we? <laughs> that, it's like, yeah. Going, I'm going to start a new life goals list: one year, five year, ten year, and in yeah, each section, it's going to be that meal. Well, we 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 have a a goal list as well, and one yeah. of them is getting to the UK. Yes. And uh, when that happens, yeah, I'm going to take you to my favorite you, country pub for you that does the best Sunday roast or shepherd's pie and the ultimate sticky toffee pudding. Mm. Let's go! Hell yeah! Come on, I need it. <laughs> I need it. All right, we um. I think this will this will we can close out with this. Um Henny, we are very graciously sponsored by the good people at Red Rooster. They make our favorite golf gloves. Beautiful, fresh Cabretta leather. And um we have a segment on the show that we call Get a Grip, where we give our guests a full uninterrupted minute to rant about anything in golf that is cr- grinding your gears at the mm. moment. So we'll give you we'll give you some time unless you have something off top that you want to just go in with. I've got it. It's there. All right. Let me just clock starts now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I even need the full minute for this, but let's go. Mm. Hydrate. <laughs> Little hydration. My biggest issue with golf is that the golf industry says they want to change. But really, they don't want to change. And it just irritates me so much because every new poster, every new slogan, every new piece of imagery or email or interview that comes out along those lines makes me want to scream in anger and frustration and annoyance and also like just sheer horror at how far off the mark you can be of where like modern day life is and what you're trying to pedal as like grow the game fuck off oh and the grow the game committee is like all the wrong people like all the wrong people it's like who could we ask that might actually help us here no, 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 wait, because they might actually give me the answer and then I might actually have to grow the game and open the doors to people that I don't want to open the doors to. We don't actually want anything to change, but we have to make it seem like we do. And then we're going to take the money of all these corporations that have to tick their box in order to seem like they're doing the right thing so that we can seem like we're doing the right thing. But none of it is doing anything. Get a grip. Get a grip. Get a grip. Get a grip. She said, I she said, let me take a sip, because it's sitting right here on the tip of the tongue. It's already right there. Yeah. Get a grip. Period. Well said. Period. I I I hear I hear mm. no, no edits. lies. No lies no were notes. told. Run it. None. No, nothing. It's just infuriating. But the worst thing is, it's like, 
I just don't see it changing anytime soon, which is why, but I, I love the like subcultures coming through, which is why I love you guys yeah. so much. Because oh, I feel like you're that. a whole subculture and got we love you too. being authentic. And we're slowly <laughs> starting to see them drip feed slightly. But like, I want to see it more with culture. I'm still rambling. I've had my hour. I've had my minute. No, 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 no. But I'm so I want to see it like more in golf, but I feel like it's coming through in fashion. And I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. But can we actually see a cultural shift rather than just like a fashion shift? Right. Mm-hmm. Because really, right, yeah. the day in, day out on that's the ground valid. at the golf club is not changing quickly enough. No, things are changing on Instagram. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But. <laughs> right that's not that's, that's not, not real, real life no and i think top golf is like okay that's amazing cool great mm-hmm. but what's next what's after that <sighs> that's a great question i was just gonna ask a question that's way bigger than this pot, so i'm i'm just not gonna but um <laughs> i know you're really anti-dress code yes Fuck the dress code. Does that apply to professional golf as well? Do you think professional should be able to wear whatever they want? Yeah. Like, think about that. Think about that. That's like saying, okay, we live in the construct of life. Like, why are you telling me what I can and can't wear? Anywhere. Yeah. True. Yeah. But like... It's hard yeah, enough out I here. Mean, I don't know. I mean, in general, if you look at Nate, but this is where I'm coming from, and this is why I can't really have these conversations with many people, but, like, even clothes are a random social construct that, like, should we feel that much shame for our bodies that we have to cover them up in clothes so, in the first place? I don't go to nudist beaches, but, like, more But nudist you. golf courses, that's something that we could make happen or in play. Well, they do happen for like the they do happen. one percent. <laughs> right. No, but in all seriousness, styling it back, like I just find it super bizarre that the dress code is a thing, whether that's amateur or professional. It's like saying you have to wear a certain thing to go shop in Whole Foods. Like it's just yeah. weird. And nowhere mm-hmm. else in right. life is there like a dress code. Okay, maybe in like, okay, I get the sports, but it's all just so old fashioned. Like cricket and tennis, we have to wear our whites. It's just the At Wimbledon. Death of... we're, we're in Wimbledon week, no less. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. They're, they're going all white. Right. All white. It's, I, it's just the <laughs> death of a sport. I'm yet like, to if, hear. Yeah, yeah. If I can't, if I have to buy, and this is the thing, this is what I'm saying, like golf doesn't really want to change. You have to take people that here in the UK we call them like a council estate does that translate here it's projects or public housing maybe for Connor got it yeah got it if you really want to grow the game that's your target audience yep they don't want that but if that's your target audience and you actually want to grow the game you can't be going saying go buy extra clothes with collars on (laughs) no what how does that relate? Right. I want to grow this. And this is what That's I mean. You want to grow the game, but then you have to adhere to the dress code and buy thousand dollar clubs. Okay, that figures. No, nope. as my little sister says, the math is not mathing. 
It's not mathing. The math is not mathing. Math is I am not yet to hear a single pro dress code argument that isn't inherently classist or racist. <laughs> yeah. I I haven't heard a single <laughs> one. Yeah, because it but, doesn't exist. <laughs> the limit does not exist. The limit does I not can, exist. I can intellectualize and understand a uh, a dress code in school school uniform. Not not dress code, but school uniform thing where everyone wears the same thing. So there's no differentiation between rich kids and poor kids everyone's wearing the same thing that i can i can understand yeah i get that too and and that but, honestly i went to a state school that had dress code and um right. that's true like there were some kids in our class yeah. that like when you had the once a month you we had what we call mufti day whether you wear whatever clothes you want you donate the 50p then you see what people really wear and there's some kids who like really showed up in you know some tough things yeah and that's where you're like yeah this actually does make a difference wearing uniform every day to their Mm self-esteem right but not in the golf course but that doesn't apply to golf no it's true no because the culture now is 250 dollar sweatshirts so like if you want to be cool and young and change the game and play golf you have to buy these cool things but like, if I have to have a separate golf wardrobe, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I do. That's the thing. And the, I the gatekeeping just hard agree. Right. Yeah, that sucks. The gatekeeping is still there. It just looks different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where like this isn't really a hard sell, but like I know Bradford, you're with Adidas, and I am too. And one of the reasons that I genuinely am is because I can actually wear on a practical level, leggings, my golf leggings, to go work out, to walk the dog, to do the school run, and to play golf in. And I wear the hoodies, and I wear the t-shirts. I wear my golf t-shirts, like, on a day-to-day basis, not at the golf course. Like, I don't want to be changing. Anytime I'm out in any of the stuff, like, I I get a compliment. Like, thanks. Yeah. Golf hoodie, by the way. Oh, God. They're like, yeah. oh, I would have never known that. And I'm also, I'm, uh, I, I stand, I will die on this hill um, that no one should be flying in shorts. Um, so Adidas Golf has done a great thing in their go-to collection where these pants are so comfortable and they look like casual pants but perform like golf pants and you can throw them on with just about anything which i do and i these have been my go-to travel pants and posting my outfit this weekend was like i guess for like the the folks that didn't know i was i I stood so strong on this stance they're like yo where are those pants from uh yeah happy happy they're making those changes i just can't understand why that has to be an opinion that stated like Surely everyone knows you can't fly in shorts and you can't fly in flip flops. Oh, as Henny, standard. No. no, unfortunately not. I saw a video yesterday, not to completely derail us, <laughs> of someone filming down underneath derail their us. seat, and someone had the dogs out through the seat in front of them. This person was getting touched on the oh. back of their leg by the person's feet. I know. <laughs> Horrid. Horrid. 
Where is the air marshal? <laughs> what? Get me the I air marshal. What was this? I would I would call the flight attendant and get a hot black coffee. <laughs> I feel and genuinely <laughs> nauseous. Who's just, who's just daddy long I'm legs sorry. just creeping up on people? <laughs> daddy long legs. Daddy long legs. I got to log off. I can't. <laughs> yeah. I remember back in the day where like etiquette was that you didn't even take your shoes off on a plane. Back now in the day, etiquette was you wore a suit yeah, and a hat with a out. with a hat. You, you, well, you, you dress up right. with a hat and a and a tie. Not that far back in the day, <laughs> like ten years ago. Back in the day, you could smoke on planes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah. my god, yeah, isn't that wild? Right, that's wild. Those were the days. I hate that. Actually, I'm going to stop saying that because when my mom says that, it really triggers me. Back in my day, when I was young. Uh, I caught myself. Henny, you've been <sighs> so incredibly gracious with your time, um, especially considering it's like midnight in in England right now. Thank you so much for coming on Group Golf Therapy. Thank you for having me. This has been an absolute blast, as I knew it would be. Um, but it's been really nice to chat with you guys and to just have these wonderful open conversations and very thoughtful questions. So. Thank you all. It's been lovely. And we did it. We did it.